We are back with On Second Thought from GPB and Virginia Prescott. Childhood experiences last a lifetime with sometimes profound effects on physical and mental health. A study from Georgia State University follows the American Academy of Pediatrics in reporting on how racism affects children over time. Dr. Sierra Carter is assistant professor of psychology at GSU and co-author of a study finding that African-American children who experience early life stress from racial discrimination are at elevated risk for accelerating aging and depression later in life. Dr. Carter joins us early this morning to help us understand these findings. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So what exactly does accelerated aging mean in the context of your research? We like to think of accelerated aging as this wear and tear down of body systems in this basic sense. So looking at your chronological age versus your biological age. And when we think about it, there are many ways to measure accelerated aging in our literature. But we have recently seen that we can look at gene expression indexes of um, accelerated aging processes through blood draws. And when we do that, we can look and see biological markers that are risk factors for chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. Some of those chronic diseases look at metabolic functioning, cardiovascular risk, um, some that are particularly relevant to the African-American community because we see disparities in health from them, including things like diabetes, cardiovascular diseases like heart disease, and hypertension. So what impacts does accelerated aging have on a person's overall health? So when we think about the accelerated accelerated aging process, we think about stress and what that does to the body system. How does that chronic stressor affect the wear and tear down of body systems over time? So Mm -hmm. we we start thinking about certain stressors as chronic stressful stimuli. This cumulative risk of chronic overexposure, continuous exposure over time can wear and tear down body systems over time, leading to this pre mature, accelerated aging process that that we see. So if you're always getting hit, you know, like Mm -hmm. if we look at this evolutionarily, you're Mm -hmm. always feeling like you're running away from the tiger. Right. So your body is never able to reach a balance is what we're saying. So usually we have natural um, mechanisms where our body is reacting to stressors in a helpful way. But when it continuously has to work and recharge itself to battle different types of stressors, it's never able to reach this calm balance Mm -hmm. on a continuous level. So it's always on. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so you mentioned cardiovascular disease, there's hypertension, mm-hmm. diabetes, some of these effects, but depression was also a major focus of your study. Which characteristics do researchers categorize as depression? So when we think about depression, there are, uh, oftentimes we think about the mental symptoms. We think about things like cognitive um, hopelessness, thinking about um, difficulties paying attention. But depression also has some physiological responses as well that you might feel, So including things like irritability, mm-hmm. anger, difficulties with sleep, right? So you can think about how depression could be a potential window and understanding that we probably shouldn't think about mental and physical health as like these dichotomous things, but as these intertwined mechanisms that could be affecting our overall health. So your research looks specifically at this, have found a relationship between accelerated aging and depression with experiencing racism at a young age. So how connected and based off your findings, how strong is that relationship? So really what we found um, was really looking first as does this happen? (laughs) So does racial discrimination at the age of 10 affect accelerated aging at the age of 29? The second step was why? 
Why is this happening? And the mechanism driving that relationship was depression. So what we're saying is that over time, these trajectories towards elevated depressive symptoms are influencing trajectories towards accelerated aging. Mm -hmm. So children, as they develop and they experience racial discrimination, African-American children specifically, um, what is that process of developing depressive symptoms in relationship to that type of stressor? So we were really focused on the mechanism of depression leading to accelerated aging. All right, I'm going to come back to that in a minute Mm -hmm. and ask you about what ages and who you Mm -hmm. were studying specifically, but I'm wondering if there's any comparison in that data, in that relationship between depression and accelerated aging with other demographics, you know, with white, Asian, Latinx uh, populations. Not as much, I would say, but as a lot of growing body of literature showing similar consistencies, particularly in the Latinx communities, um, we're seeing a similar patterns of experiences of racial discrimination being linked to a lot of mental and physical health difficulties. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're also starting to think about this in other populations, including refugee populations, immigrant populations, uh, any population that has experienced marginalization. So the GSU study used data collected from kids aged 10 to 15, following them all the way up to age 29. Mm-hmm. 19-year period, that is a long-term commitment. So where does this data all come from? So it started um, at the Family and Community Health Study, based primarily at UGA um, and Iowa. So they, the research was prim- primarily focused on thinking about strong African-American families um, and what leads to risk and resiliency to building that. And so that was really the start of uh, trying to understand the processes that lead to resiliency and risk within African-American communities. So they were also studying how the the effect of parental support and discipline styles, Mm -hmm. from what I understand. Mm -hmm. This is a pretty interesting study. Started when? 1996. Right. Was that at UGA? So part of it was at UGA and part of it was at Iowa to think about um, different participants that could be potentially useful for understanding strong African-American families. We don't think it necessarily has to be in only one community, but kind of getting a broad grasp of communities, um, African-American communities specifically. So participants from Georgia and Iowa, was there any sense of distinction between rural outcomes or kids who were born and raised in more urban settings? Yes, that's one of the most unique things about the Family and Community Health Study is that there was purpose in thinking about making sure we had a good distribution of urban versus rural populations, um, also differences in socioeconomic status, so high SES socioeconomic status and low SES African-American families. Um, so it was important to kind of have this broad grasp of families and risk. So we weren't just looking at poverty necessarily in response to things like racial discrimination. We were looking at this individual African-American families from higher socioeconomic status experience racial discrimination have a similar process. Mm-hmm. So kind of this risk and resiliency framework, looking at multiple factors of environment um, as well as psychosocial um, factors as well. You talked earlier about drawing blood and other kind of data being collected. Can you be a little more specific about like how you were measuring what was going on with these kids? Yeah. Um, so uh, with the blood draws, we were looking at gene expression index. So gene expression can really get an understanding of functional um, abil- uh, functional abilities, a short way of saying it, but the, how the, the level of gene expression can influence how we think about biomarkers for risk. Okay. So can you tell me that? Yeah. Like, what does gene <laughs> expression mean in... Uh, you know, how would that be? How would that be in a term that I can understand or say to somebody, this happens when X? I, I think the best way to think about gene expression is 
kind of like your jeans turning on due to weathering. Mm -hmm. So I always come back to kind of this weathering thought process of when my jeans are always constantly on, (laughs) right? It's that's where the weathering process can turn on and the level of that expression. So the level of turning on oftentimes can influence that particular relationship between biomarkers for risk. So risk for early disease states. So that I get that. And yeah. so the the idea of turning it up to 11 yeah. all the time, right. you know, there's no, as you said, there's no mm-hmm. sort of like status. There's right. no sort of calm place. How hard is it to, to collect good data on a big longitudinal study like this? I mean, do participants drop out along the way? Participants do. Uh, there is, we call it attrition um, over time. But we actually had about a 78% retention rate um, over time of participants from Iowa and Georgia um, and our participants. But you can think about what can happen. People move, people leave their area, people are mobile. So there's other things that can lead to attrition as well. Um, but I think we had a pretty consistent group that we followed throughout those 19 years to really look and examine these types of factors. So in terms of behavior, what would be some of the ways that these gene expressions might uh, express themselves? Would somebody more liable to addiction, for example? Oh, interesting question. Uh, so, I mean, there are hypotheses that we can draw on about what can happen. And there is a lot of behavioral risk. Uh, Frederick Gibbons, one of the authors on this paper, particularly studies like health behaviors in response to racial discrimination experiences. And you can see a number of things, whether that is a coping mechanism. So, you know, I might be smoking, I might engage in unhealthy eating habits. Um, so we do see certain coping strategies that can happen. But we also see some kind of resiliency coping strategies Mm -hmm. as well, such as seeking out social support, um, being able to discuss that with family members. And I think where our research is headed is particularly these racial socialization processes. How do you talk with your um, parents about racial discrimination experiences? Because we can see that that potentially could be helpful to prevent certain processes from happening. Right. I know that for a lot of people, coping means, you know, stuffing down in many ways. Dr. Sierra Carter is with me. She's an assistant professor of psychology at Georgia State University, and we're talking about her recent study, which found a connection between experiencing racism as a child with premature aging and with depression. So your team on this study is interdisciplinary. You work with biologists, you work with neuroscientists, mm-hmm. but as a psychologist focusing on the social part of the science. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about quantifying and measuring the experience of racism? I think asking the people who are experiencing it as a first step, right? So it's an acknowledgement piece that I think you can get through survey data. Have you experienced these things? We originally in our research oftentimes focused primarily on adults and racial discrimination, not as much on children, um, because we had some thoughts like maybe this isn't this is too young. But we actually know that racial status is the second thing that children learn at, around the age of five in comparison to sex. And so when you are learning this this early in life, we start to think about what is what is the experience of racial discrimination for children and can they describe it? And the answer has been, yes, we can give them surveys around have you experienced these types of things and they can ex- express if they have or not. What are some of the kind of instances that were reported in the data? So some of them are seeing certain things. So seeing a parent um, being followed in a grocery store, or it could be their own experience. So feeling like you um were disproportionately singled out um, in school, um, or you feel like you um, you saw your parent get stopped um, 
uh, in a car because of what they look like. Mm -hmm. So it's getting at combinations of individual experiences as well as kind of like these systematic um, interpersonal relationships to racial discrimination experiences as well. These health disparities along racial, racial lines have been found to be common, especially in Georgia. We have especially high maternal mortality rates and deaths from breast cancer among mm-hmm. African-American women, comparatively. NPR and ProPublica did some reporting on this mm-hmm. and spoke with Dr. Michael Liu. He was then director of the Maternal and Child Health Bureau for the Health and Human Services. Now he's a professor at GW. Let's hear we're talking about African-American doctors and lawyers and business executives, and they still have higher maternal mortality rate than uh, white women who were high school dropouts. It's the experience of having to work harder than anybody else just to get equal pay and equal respect. It's being followed around when you're shopping at a night store or being stopped by the police when you're driving in a nice neighborhood. Those types of experiences create a kind of chronic stress that continues to gun the engine, which over time creates the wear and tear on your body's systems. So he's saying many of the same things you are, but he's talking about adults across socioeconomic demographics. Mm-hmm. So this obviously, the effects of racism are not just in childhood, but right. over a lifetime. So how does your research compare with other research being conducted right now on the impacts, the health impacts of racism? I think it aligns really well with just thinking about the longitudinal kind of long-term impact of racial discrimination on a number of health processes. When we think about things like breast cancer and also other types of chronic illnesses that can affect different communities, we can think about how stress can impact that, maybe exacerbate it. Um, and exacerbate symptoms. And I think it follows in line of saying, if I'm experiencing these things, <laughs> just like how we think about other stressors, like trauma, for example, if I'm experiencing these different types of things, this can affect my body, both my mind and my body. And we need to start thinking about that and acknowledging that. Uh, within our systems. From my understanding, the field of epigenetics says that stressors over time can actually change gene expression Mm -hmm. over time. So maybe you're a child of a a Holocaust survivor, Mm -hmm. you know, or a parent who experienced trauma can actually pass on trauma responses on a genetic level. Do we know enough about that process in terms of racism? I wouldn't say that we know enough. I think we're in the stages of examining it. Um, And we are starting to think about things like intergenerational racism. So what does it mean for from the womb, right? So uh, being pregnant and experiencing racism, but also growing up in that. How does that affect your child's development? How does that get passed down? And, you know, if we're thinking about the trauma literature in particular, we already see things like if a mom has experienced high levels of trauma, then some reports are showing that their kids are showing different signs of behavioral difficulties. You can see that and it can be related to mom's experience. And so we're we're thinking um, our research is kind of pushing towards saying, let's start thinking about racism as this chronic stressful stimuli that can have a similar epigenetic pathway for intergenerational effects over time. And if we think about historical legacies like slavery and oppression, we can go way back in time and think about if we think about the Holocaust, we can think about slavery in a similar oppressive environment and how that affects 
populations over time. And I think we're headed and thinking through what has happened um, in our historical periods that has affected even health today that has been passed down generation to generation. Fascinating stuff. Sierra Carter, Dr. Sierra Carter, thank you so much. Thank you. She's Assistant Professor of Psychology at Georgia State University. And you can join the conversation that's going on in our Facebook group, GPB Radio's On Second Thought. Asa did, he said, as a proud black gay man, Chick-fil-A owner, expresses his religious beliefs. He did not say he would serve the LGBT community, didn't say he would hire LGBT workers. His religious beliefs do not allow him to support that lifestyle. If the LGBT community wants to protest or boycott, start with the Southern Baptist Church. That is in response to last week's segment we aired regarding recent Chick-fil-A boycotts from LGBTQ groups in, in England. The company also announced it will close its first store in UK just days after opening. We wanted to know if putting your money where your mouth is really matters or how corporate boycotts work. You can leave your comment on our Facebook page. We may just read it on the air. And coming up, we kick off Halloween week with a look at the spooky southern photos of the father of American surrealism. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more on Second Thought.